You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to invite you to take your seats. And if you're joining us online, welcome as well to Hope for a Day. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. We're going to get into the Word of God here. We're going to turn to uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 12. Um, This week was a um, quite relaxing and exciting week um, for me, a lot of different family events. Also, my wife and I, we celebrated our 12th um, wedding anniversary yesterday. Thank you. 12 years. <laughs> Amen. I was looking over to Megan and she's, uh, she's back with the kids already. So um, that was just a wonderful time. And uh, I was working on a few things with our series. If I only knew then what I know now, what would you tell your younger self? What would be some of those things? And so this week I was tucking away a few things, writing a few different messages. Not sure uh, where the Holy Spirit would lead us here today until honestly about last night uh, where that became uh, clear for this afternoon. And I believe when I share this title, you're all going to probably nod your heads or it's going to resonate with your heart. The, The message here for today is be wise in who you go to for advice. Be wise in who you go to for advice. The word attitude is defined as this, a settled way of thinking and feeling about something. A settled way of thinking and feeling about something. You know, we all have different attitudes depending on, you know, the day, depending on how much sleep we get, how, you know, if we've fed our bellies and what's going on, family circumstance and and such. And what I appreciate about this definition addition is it also says it communicates a positioning. It speaks to one's given orientation, whether it's being cooperative or uncooperative. And so when we think about attitude, when you think about this title, attitude plays into this. And so it's important that we keep good counsel. I wrote this, the company you keep can impact your attitude, that settled way of thinking and feeling. We've all been there, right? When you surround yourself with certain kinds of people, you can easily resonate with how they operate. My father-in-law says, and I'm going to steal his thunder, birds of a feather flock together. And it's so true. There's been times when you get around people who grumble, and we usually do because life can be tough at times. You can become a grumbler. At the same time, if around people are always cheerful and just like Ron, it doesn't seem like anything phases him. You know, you're able, they're able to rub off on you and, and look things more of a joyful countenance. The company that we keep, those who we go to for advice are so important. So the big idea for today is this, as I'm looking at the clock, is this, listening to godly counsel and applying it, listening and applying it is essential for living a harmonious, prosperous, joy-filled life. Do you agree with that? You know, there's many times where, and I've said this before, where they'll sound like a broken record, but I deeply appreciate the relationship that I had with my own dad. 
that we could sit down and I, I, can, I can remember as if it was yesterday, any circumstance, the good, the bad, or the other, we, can, we could sit down in the family room and he, he would kick back on his lounge chair and he would give me his undivided attention. He would just listen. And we can talk and he would, he would share counsel. And what I even appreciate even more today was that no matter what he said to me, he always sought to root his, his advice in the word. You know, there's times where he'd be like, oh, he would want to sympathize with situations and maybe what the word of the day or those kind of things. But for him, he always came back to the living word. Because it never steers us wrong. It is living and active. It's able to judge the attitudes and the thoughts of our hearts. Let me ask you this question. Who's in your inner circle? Who are those that you go to? What does that decision-making table look like? When you're facing a tough obstacle, who do you chat with? Who do you go to? You know, some of you might say, hey, you know what? When I'm facing something right away, I, I go to my prayer closet. I shut the door, you know, and you begin to talk to the Lord. Maybe you have those who are mature believers, and I'm sure we all do, that you go to and you, you seek this counsel. Here we're going to see in 1 Kings 12, counsel is important. But counsel can also lead you astray if you're not careful. If you're not careful to the voices you are listening to, you know, if I was to pull everyone here today, you would say, hey, once upon a time, there was a time where I thought I'd received good counsel, but boy, was it wrong. Here we're going to see in retrospect, as we look to the word of God that serves to encourage us and instruct us, we will see where things went awry. So in 1 Kings chapter 12, we're picking up where Solomon, who was arguably one of the wisest men who ever lived next to Jesus, has died. Now, at the end of his reign, there was times in which he started to actually engage in folly. He wasn't using sound reason. But upon his death, his son would ascend the throne, Rehoboam. Rehoboam. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it, he stayed in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon's presence. And Jeroboam stayed in Egypt. But they summoned him. And Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke harsh. You, therefore, lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. And Rehoboam replied, go away for three days and then return to me. So the people left. Then the king consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive, asking them this, how do you advise me to respond to this people? And they replied, today, if you will be a servant to this people and to serve them, if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, you will be your servants. They will be your servants forever. You know, we know the scripture says the harsh word can stir up strife, but a, a gentle answer puts off reproach. Here we see this wisdom is so timely. They use the word serve twice. If you would serve them, if you would be a servant to these people, 
they will serve you. They will honor you. They will respect you. And so just for the sake of background, the kingdom here, when the, the writer of Kings is writing, many times you'd hear him say, all of Israel, that can speak to both Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah were made up of 12 tribes that formed the northern and south kingdom. And when there was a covenant in place and they were working together, there were harmonious, united kingdom. And under Solomon, this was the case. In fact, we see in 1 Kings 4, all of Israel, I love this, in 1 Kings 4.20 says that they were numerous as the sand by the sea, and they were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. They were prosperous. In fact, in verse 24 of 1 Kings 4, it says they enjoyed security and peace. Who here likes security and peace? When you're driving down the 400 series highways and everything's just fine and dandy, majority of people are going to the, the shops and going to different events and such. It's so wonderful. You don't have to worry that, you know, bombs are dropping from the sky or tumultuous events are happening all around you. We live in a secure time. And here, the people of God, all of Israel, Judah and northern part of Israel, they're experiencing the security and peace. It's harmonious. They're eating, they're drinking, and rejoicing. In 1 Kings 4.24, it says this, For he had dominion, he's speaking about King Solomon, over everything west of the Euphrates, to the Gaza and over the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all his surrounding borders. There's something to be said about executing wisdom. You have peace all around you. Peace at all their borders. In verse 21, I wrote this in my notes, it showed here that all the kings, even though maybe they didn't agree with all the things that Solomon did or said, it said that they paid tribute to him, that they respected him, and they honored him. In verse 21, it says, Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines and as far as the border of Egypt, and they offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. He reigned for over 40 years. I mean, a kingship at the time, 40 years was something. 40 years was quite a feat. And what I appreciate in digging into this and looking at this chapter, looking at the, the context and what was happening this time, in Solomon's course, so we can understand how it brings us forward, for him, with leadership, priests were a large part of his inner circle. So people have always said, from the dawn of time, God always designed for there to be a separation of church and state. Well, it wasn't the case. Because here, the priests were a part of the inner circle. They were a part of giving wisdom to the king guiding his, his decrees and the steps that he would take. But in addition to the priests, they had these governing officials that would have their own districts. And the purpose of these districts would be to administrate, to oversee the kingdom and making sure everything's working harmoniously, including the one thing that people usually grumble over is taxation. Because, you know, you got to make sure the kingdom's able to function but what was interesting as it pulls up into our passage here today is that in Israel, there were 12 governing officials with their own districts, but Judah only had one. 12 to one, which means there was improper representation. There was only one deputy administrator in Judah next to the king. 
And so in 1 Kings 4, 22 to 23, we can see why there's an issue that's about to be uh, thrown upon us here as we continue in our passage. But first in 4, 22, it says, Solomon's provisions for one day were 180 bushels of fine flour, 360 bushels of meal, 10 fattened calf, 20 range cattle, and 100 sheep and goats. And besides deer, they had gazelles and roebucks and pen-fed poultry. Whatever all that really stands to mean is there's a lot. They required a lot. So these administrators had their work cut out for them. They were responsible, each one of them, for a month's worth of supply. And if they didn't follow through on their, with their quota, there would be, pardon the pun, there'd be hell to pay. The kingdom wouldn't be able to function. And so there was an important burden here, but again, Israel was the one who was bearing the blunt of the burden. They were wearing the heavy yoke. And yet there was a prosperity in the kingdom, but how long could this kingdom function in such a way that it was organized? This harmonious, you know, symbolic relationship that they enjoyed would eventually falter because of the decisions that Solomon indeed made in this yoke, in this burden. Both Solomon and his own son both made foolish decisions, also because of the counsel they received. And so what happened? You might be sitting here thinking, okay, what's, you know, what's the big deal? Well, we look here in 1 Kings 11, 4. 1 Kings 11, 4. And you can appreciate when you go back through and you flip through the pages, and when you can get a full picture of what's going on, I have to admit, I had a, a little bit of a different view of Solomon that actually changed overnight. It says this. When Solomon was old, remember that part. I'm not saying everyone here is old, but I'm just saying there comes a time and place. You're never off the hook, Okay? When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods, and he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, and the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites on the hill across from Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. And so God rightfully was taking notice, and he said, the Lord is angry with Solomon. Because his heart has turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And he commanded him about this, so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. You've got to appreciate that the Lord reasons with, he comes to us where we're at. But the question is, will we listen? Then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this, and did not keep my covenant, and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of your son's hands. 
Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem that I chose. So here's the the background of what is going on. Solomon had fair warning. The Lord had appeared to him twice and, and warned him, do not intermarry with the people for they serve and worship other gods. There's something in scripture says, do not be yoked with people you should not be yoked with because they can lead you astray if you're not careful. And so right here at the beginning, right here of our story, the son of Solomon is faith, faced with a similar decision-making process. What will he do? Will he listen to sound counsel or not? And like Solomon, he has the opportunity to, to humble himself, to repent before the Lord and see the chain of events transform. So here we see, as we've read in our passage in verse 4, that Jeroboam had a case to give for the northern kingdom. He had a case. The yoke that he's referring to was this forced labor. Could you imagine being forced to engage in labor you don't want to do? Some of you may say, man, I've been doing that for 20 years, a job that I absolutely despise. Well, in this case, this is forced labor. Again, there was a misrepresentation here. They were bearing the full weight of the needs of the kingdom. And a yoke is defined as this, a fitted frame over the neck and shoulders of a person or animals to carry a load. Over time, you can imagine how that begins to wear, how it begins to truly burden you in the pain of wearing such a yoke. And so here... Jeroboam comes to the king with a right case and just says, if you will just lessen. He's not saying, if you will just do away with it, we will serve you. He's saying, no, if you will just lessen it a bit. And at first you could say, well, the king gave a good answer. He said, you know what? Go away for three days. Let me think this over. And so he talks with his advisors and he says, how do you advise me to respond to this people. And again, they said, today, if you will be a servant to this people and serve them, and if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. You know, what would be the real difficulty with following through on something like this? This is something I was asking myself. What was the big deal? Why was this so hard? Yeah, you could say pride comes into it. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we can be a lot like our fathers and the decisions that our fathers make. But we don't have to follow in their footsteps, especially if it's footsteps that don't honor the Lord. Here we see in 1 Kings 9.15, regarding this forced labor that uh, Jeroboam is rightfully bringing before the king. In 9.15 it says, this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon had imposed to build the Lord's temple. Imagine you're building the temple for the Lord, a place to worship, and you, you invoke enforced labor on the very people of God in order to build it. It says they enforced this forced labor for his own palace. So the temple, the palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and he goes on and names all these other works that have to be done. And then it says this, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gazir, 
He then burned it, killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and gave it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Then Solomon rebuilt it. And all the stored cities that belonged to Solomon, the chariot cities, the Calvary cities, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, and anywhere else in the land of his dominion. And I underline here, whatever Solomon desired to build. Can you imagine that? You know what? I just, I just feel like I want to build a massive tower today. Do it. <laughs> we've, we've all been there when people have in, uh, imposed wishes upon us that were tough to receive. And when you come to a place of leadership, you can appreciate where they're coming from. And here we see these citizens of Judah, did not appear to make up this labor force. I mean, they were coasting. They were enjoying the good life. Again, one deputy government governor. They were not being taxed in order for this all to take place. And so there was a clear burden on the northern people of Israel. They were the builders. They were the movers. They were the shakers. They were bearing the total weight, the financial burden of the kingdom. Do you think this was a fun place to be? <laughs> How many of you have been there? Maybe it's in a workplace. Maybe it's an office place where, you know, sometimes there are those who coast and there's statistics that say usually about 10 to 20% of a, a group of people actually do the work. And in church is very similar, about 10 to 20% carry the burden of the work to be done. So we can understand this request. I can deeply understand the case that's being brought before the king. And we see here in verse 13, after he speaks to his advisors, the king then goes to those who aren't seasoned in wisdom. In fact, in the Hebrew, when it says that these young men, it actually in the Greek speaks to child. The author is saying they were like children. They were foolish in their thinking. And they told him basically get your back and be like, who do you think you are? They said here, but he rejected the advice of the elders who advised him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and attended him. And he asked them, what message do you advise that we send back to this people who said to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Then the young men had grown up with him, told him, this is what you should say to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. <laughs> so Jeroboam and all the people came to the king on the third day as the king ordered, it says, and returned and the king answered them with a harsh reply. He rejected the advice the elders gave him and spoke to them according to the young men's advice and said, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. This is, this is something that just really struck me, the fact that this is coming from the lips of Jeroboam, the son of Solomon, of whom his, his mother was the daughter of Pharaoh, and we know where the Israelites came from. They came from a terrible, horrible time of hardship and a burden and forced labor. 
And for a moment, in a flash, it could almost seem like all this was forgotten. This ability to empathize with what was going on. And so the king, he rejected this wise counsel, this wisdom that had been gained by the men of their post. Why do you think he did this? This is something I wrote here in big, bold print. Why on earth would this happen? There's two things I wrote down. Perhaps he remembered how Jeroboam had rebelled against his father. You know, there's times when people act out against you and your family members, and you never forget it. You might forgive them, but you never forget. So in this case, it's very possible that now as king, he remembered what Jeroboam did to his father. First Kings 11, 26 to 27 says this, Now Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was an Ephorite from Zerdah. His widowed mother's name was Zerah. And Jeroboam rebelled against Solomon, and this is the reason he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the supporting terraces and repaired the opening in the wall of the city of his father, David. The key thing here is forced labor. He was done with it. He wanted to see a change. There was a deep-seated issue here. He was seeking to overturn the Lord's prophetic word regarding the break of the kingdom. If you go back through to 1 Kings 11 through, I'm just trying to make sure we keep everything in context, that the Lord spoke to Solomon and spoke over the kingdom that because of the way in which you've acted, I'm going to break up the kingdom. That's what we looked at earlier. I'm going to break it up. Perhaps the king was trying to circumvent this prophecy so it would never take place. You ever notice that whenever you try to work against God, God always has the upper hand? You can't, you can't change what the, what the Lord's going to do. And so God said to Jeroboam, he said in 1 Kings eleven thirty one, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, I'm about to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and I'll give you 10 tribes. But one tribe will remain for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I chose out of all the tribes of Israel. And he says it here. He's not just doing it because he wants to see a change. He says in verse 33, for they have abandoned me. They have bowed down to Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians and the God of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my sight and to carry out my statutes and my judgments as his father David did. And so he goes on and says, but I will not completely destroy the kingdom for the sake of David, for the sake of Jerusalem. And so here was a, a call. Here was a reminder to Jeroboam to, re, to remember, to walk. If the Lord is going to do this, notice what's happening. Sometimes the counsel we can receive and circumstances that others are facing, we can learn the lessons that maybe they're not learning. Because they're humbled by the situations. Never forget it. And so here... <laughs> Jeroboam is getting a life lesson here as the Lord reminds him, if you obey all I command you, if you walk in my ways and do as right in my sight, I will be with you as I was with David. I will build you a lasting kingdom just as I built for David and I will give you Israel. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
If you just walk in my ways, if you just obey my commands. And in verse 39, this just shows the whole picture of what's going on. I'm hoping you're still with me. Verse 39 of 1 Kings 11 says this, I will humble David's descendants because of their unfaithfulness, but not forever. There's somewhere in scripture where it says that God doesn't desire for anyone to perish. There's this foreshadowing. He doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We do. I will humble David's descendants because of their unfaithfulness, but not forever. We can see these chain of events from the time of Solomon to that of the reign of his son and onward. God works through all the nitty gritty in order when we become prideful to humble us, to walk with him, to turn to him, and most importantly to give an opportunity for repentance. What I can appreciate every day that I wake, the Bible says the Lord's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance, to turn to him. As for today, I know what happened yesterday. The God's in there like a mighty smiter looking to knock me or cut me down a step or two. But he's with me and he's for me. He desires for me to turn to him in all my ways. And yet in the midst, Solomon's response to what was happening because of the prophetic word that was given that God was going to break up the kingdom, do you know what his answer was? One of the wisest men who ever lived, the one who heard the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord speak to him twice, he said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill Jeroboam as if God's not going to see. Somehow he's going to get away with it. At 1 Kings 11:40, therefore Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he fled to Egypt, to the king of Egypt. Well, he remained until Solomon's death. And so perhaps maybe you can understand a little better why Jeroboam responded in the way that he did, intensifying the labor. He was trying to get even. He, it's, it, he, was just, he couldn't see beyond what had happened to him and his family and what the Lord was doing. He wouldn't humble himself so that things could turn around for he and his household. He was set on getting revenge. This is something I remember my dad and I would talk about too, is say something similar that, you know, in revenge, you, you truly never get even. You always lose out. Someone always gets hurt. And so I wrote here as takeaway steps, God always gives opportunity for us to get on course and to make things right. He always gives us opportunity to make things right. And so to lessen the load, all that Jeroboam was asking of the king, if he would just lessen it, there was an opportunity here for the king. But he refused. Pride got in the way and he, he dug in deeper. Have you ever been there where you've, you've just said, you know, I'm here. I don't even know how to get out of this. So I'm just going to dig in deeper. You know, there's been times, I have to admit, there's been times when I've been hurt tremendously and I don't even want to be in the same room Right? You know what that's like. And so you dig in. I'm not going to look their way. As long as I don't look their way, that's going to be okay. I, I can make it. You don't truly experience the healing until you humble yourself. This is what's, what's being shown. Is this something that, yeah, we can look at the wisdom literature here. This, this part of scripture is the Old Testament. Because we're in the New Covenant, becomes wisdom literature. The wisdom of God, instruction to us, and how we can apply it to here our New Covenant relationship to walk in his ways, to walk in the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the tugging on our hearts. 
So perhaps today we can glean from this insight, from this encounter that uh, Rehoboam showcases for us what would happen when you exchange the heritage of wisdom for a heritage of folly, a lack of sound reason. He just steamed ahead despite the caution, despite the opportunity to change course. This is what actually led to the end of the kingdom. It's, it was never written in stone, like things could change. Things could have happened if he would have humbled himself. And in fact, Solomon, his own father once said this in Proverbs 16, eight, better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Here the kingdom had great wealth, but there was considerable injustice. And in Proverbs 16, 18, Solomon also writes, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before the fall. Do you think Solomon knew what he was talking about? He lost everything. And then Proverbs 19, 20, he says, listen to counsel and receive instruction so you may be wise later in life. And in fact, in the very end, the king was finally, not by his own doing, but by the hand of the Lord, he was humbled by God. We see here in chapter 12, verse 24, after the king had assembled all his men, the northern tribe had crowned Jeroboam as king. He said, we're going to, uh-uh, this isn't going to happen. I watch. He gets all his chariots. He gets all his men and he goes to march against them. In verse 22 of chapter 12, it says, but the word of God came to Sheremiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, you are not to march up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Each of you return home for this situation is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went back according to the word of the Lord. My next steps I wrote here, I don't desire to learn in the type of experience that the king learned, that he had to be humbled. It took that long to make a course correction of all the warnings. A few next steps as we close. Be wise in who you go to for advice because it impacts you. Number two, be open to the opportunity for change and then walk in it. Opportunities are gonna present themselves, but nothing can change until you walk with it, until you step into it. God is gracious. He knows what we need. I wrote this down for sake of time. Our Father in heaven, as we know, is loving and gracious. He desires for all to turn to him in all his ways. And he reminds us that the yoke and burden that we all encountered because of sin and death, Jesus lessened it. In fact, he removed it for our sake. We didn't have to lift a finger because he was mighty to save and he freed us from the oppression of sin and death. So I'm gonna invite you if, you, uh, if you have your emblems with you. Actually, we have communion emblems up here at the front. We're doing something a little different. I almost forgot my own illustration. When we receive sound counsel, we need to walk in it. And so I'm gonna invite you to get up out of your seats as a reminder and come grab your communion cups. They're just right up here on the front pew in a little beautiful tray right at the front. 
And so I'm gonna invite you to, to form a line because we're all in this together to come and grab the emblems are here at the front. Don't be shy. Sue, don't be shy. Come grab the emblems and we're gonna celebrate communion this afternoon. I'm telling you right now, so impactful, so just full of so much life lessons that you can apply now. If I could speak to my younger self, I would say, get this in your spirit, get this in your heart, but it'll serve you well. Hold on to sound wisdom and counsel. And so as you have your emblems, we're gonna remember the tremendous burden, the tremendous yoke, the wages of sin of death that Jesus chapter 11, I think we'll have an even greater understanding and appreciation for what the Apostle Paul says about the Lord's Supper. He writes this in verse 17. Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper, so one person is hungry while another even gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and break the symbolizing the broken body of Jesus? similar way he took the cup after supper and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes we partake Thank you. 
Father, we're reminded of the Word, your Word that became living and active through your Son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, by the blood that was necessary to be shed means that we have total forgiveness. I thank you today that what you did on Calvary was all sufficient and that it is truly finished, that we are free today and forever because we trust in you. Lord, help us to walk harmoniously in your truth, to walk harmoniously as we share the good news of who you are, that you desire all to turn to you and enjoy eternal relationship with you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we remember this time and even celebrate what Jesus has done, would you join us as we sing in song? with John and the worship team.
Then he heard, then he answered. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. That's why I trusted, that's why I trusted. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. That's why I trusted, that's why I trusted. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. I sought the Lord, then he heard, then he answered. That's why I trusted.